0: I'm sure some of you have heard this story before, but one time when I was in youth ministry, I took my youth group to a corn maze that was out on this farm. And, and they told us when we got there that they let people come out and go through the maze at night in pitch black. And they assured us that, that no one would jump out at you, that it was not a haunted corn maze in any way. There were no zombies or anything like that. It was just completely and totally dark. And still no one in our group was willing to go through it in the dark because who in their right mind wants to walk through a cornfield in pitch black? Of course, the fear of, of walking through the maze at night has nothing to do with concerns about the maze itself and everything to do with fears, anxieties, and concerns brought about by darkness. Darkness causes us to, to question things that we would otherwise take for granted. Darkness plays tricks on us, causing us to, to see things that aren't really there Darkness gives shelter to ill intent and offers cover for indulging that which we would never acknowledge in the light. Darkness allows our minds to create a world in which our deepest fears run free because there is no light to expose their fallacies or illegitimacy. And so Jesus comes along and says, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. Jesus says that he has come to offer an alternative to to a life given over to the fear of enveloping darkness. He tells us that he is the light of the world. Good morning. And welcome to my backyard. Uh, I'm coming to you late Saturday night from our backyard. Uh, As many of you know, it has been quite an adventurous week at our house. And so by the time I got around to recording this, I thought I'd just set up shop here in our backyard. And our... Our family's journey to become foster parents accelerated immensely and wonderfully this past week. And while this journey has has been entirely of our own making and and decision, we are so grateful that that so many of you have, have shown us in your support, encouragement, meals, and gifts that while this may have been solely our decision, it is not solely our journey. It's one that that many of you have made your own decision to join us on and for that we can't say thank you enough. We are continually blessed by and encouraged by our Vine family and and we love and appreciate you all so very much, so thank you. So with all that being said, uh, let's talk about the Festival of Booths or the Festival of Tabernacles. Uh, the, this festival, or, or feast, was the seventh and last festival on the Jewish calendar, and it was the third annual feast uh, that required Jewish men to, to make this pilgrimage from wherever they were living to Jerusalem. And in Hebrew, it was known as Sukkot. And the idea of this festival, of Sukkot, was that it commemorated Uh, the end of the agricultural year. It it marked the harvesting of things like grapes and olives in Israel, and it served as as a time to thank God for the preceding year's provision and harvest while also asking God to bless the upcoming season of, of planting. But above and beyond even that, the primary purpose of Sukkot was to remember the wilderness journey from Egypt to Canaan. Of course, while in the wilderness, the Israelites ate manna, which we talked about last week. And they also lived in temporary nomadic booths or tabernacles. And so during the Feast of Booths, each Israelite family was supposed to construct a booth or or tabernacle and live in it for a week. And you'd have people who've traveled from all over to Jerusalem scattered out in the hillside with these booths. And so this was a way of connecting to their heritage and, and their story, and it was a way to remember God's provision, both in the wilderness, in their past, and in that year's harvest. And by leaving your home and, and going to stay in a temporary shelter for a week, you're, you're intentionally disconnecting yourself from your routine and, and forcing yourself to be reminded that it is God who provides. As one writer phrases it, It could be tempting for the Israelites to sit in their houses after a great harvest and say, look at what we did and how we have profited. Living in booths for a week reminded them that their success in Canaan was wholly on account of the Lord's grace. He had brought them to the good land and could just as easily take them out of it. A tangible reminder of His provision in the wilderness during Sukkot Showed the Israelites they must always trust Him alone for their supply. Thematically, Sukkot was a time of, of celebration and, and jubilation. And right after the, the events we looked at last week in John 6, Jesus makes His way to Jerusalem for this great festival. And while there, He directly connects Himself to two of the major elements of the festival itself. Uh, one that we won't spend too much time delving into this morning was a, a water-pouring ceremony, a, a ritual that involved quite a bit of pomp and, and circumstance that, that culminated on the festival's last day. And so as Jesus participates in the, in the activities of the festival, John tells us that on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and in a loud voice said, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. So, on the same day that this ritual would have taken place, Jesus stands up and, and applies what's happening there to himself. He borrows from the water imagery to make a point about himself, his identity, and what he offers to his followers. And he does the same thing, it seems, with the concept of light. You see, another celebratory aspect of the festival was this fantastic light ceremony that took place throughout the feast. On each afternoon of the seven-day festival, people gathered at the temple's court of women where there were these four massive oil lamps. And priests would come and they would light the lamps which were meant to remind the people of of the pillar of fire that guided the Israelites in their wilderness journey. They were reminders of the way in which God revealed himself to his people as light for the purposes of guidance and deliverance so that they would not have to walk or journey in darkness. And it was said that these huge Lamps were so bright that the light penetrated every courtyard in Jerusalem. And, and, and so people would, would dance and, and sing songs of joy and praise in the light of these huge lamps. And so in John 8, seemingly at the conclusion of this festival or, or shortly after its conclusion, Jesus stands up in this same temple court area and proclaims I am the light of the world so just as manna was, was temporary fulfillment for the body while the bread of life is, is nourishment for the soul so too the ceremony of lights provides light temporarily but as the light of the world Jesus says that whoever follows him will never walk in darkness. And instead of lighting up every courtyard in Jerusalem, Jesus is light for the world. So there's this enduring quality to this description that echoes what we we heard in the bread of life claim. There's this continued contrast between temporal physical provisions and the eternal lasting nature of Christ. Physical darkness is, is one thing and scary in and of itself but spiritual darkness takes it to another level. God's work has been about casting out darkness from the very beginning. Genesis begins with God speaking light into vast darkness, and and while this is a recurring theme amongst many of the writers of our biblical texts, no one picks it up more frequently than John. The word light is, is used more in his gospel account than any other book in the New Testament. John even begins his account, his account of Jesus' life not with the birth narrative or, or a genealogy of Jesus, but with a reminder that Jesus is the light of all mankind, the light that shines in the darkness and that has not been overcome by the darkness. So the creation story then acts as a, as a template of for how God will continue to work going forward, bringing light into darkness. And it's that truth that was celebrated during the Feast of Tabernacles. And it's what Jesus' statement draws upon as He proclaims Himself the light of the world. Jesus' claim is a promise that God will continue to guide and protect those who are seeking His leading and that those who seek Him can do so with confidence that darkness cannot overcome light. As I mentioned last week, there is, there is both hope and encouragement in many of these I Am statements alongside a challenge that they present or, or a call that they place upon our lives. And that is certainly true of this statement. While this statement is, is, I think, designed to fill us with hope and with peace and purpose, it's also, interestingly, the, the only I am statement that is ascribed both to Jesus and to us. Uh, elders are also referred to as shepherds, but not as the good shepherd, as Jesus refers to himself in another of the I am statements. So while all of the other I am descriptions of Jesus are specific to Jesus himself, Jesus himself refers not only to himself as the light of the world, but he bestows the same exact description on those of us who are following him uh, when he calls us the light of the world in the Sermon on the Mount. And I think part of the reason for that is seen in another statement that Jesus makes in John about a chapter after his initial light of the world claim. There he says, While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. You see, here's the thing about, about light. While, while darkness can never overcome or overpower light, when light confronts darkness, the source of light also has to have a clean line of sight or or direct connection to something in order to bring light into that area of darkness, uh, for instance, it doesn't get dark at night because the su- the sun stops shining spoiler alert that's not what happens. <laughs> it gets dark because our part of the world has turned away from the sun. Our direct connection to the sun has been temporarily broken but we know that when we turn back and our connection to the to the sun is re-established it will be light again every time because light overpowers darkness the source of light though requires direct contact and and connection in order to provide light to a given area so jesus says while i am in the world I am the light of the world. And I think he tells us that we are the light of the world because we are called to be the body of Christ in this world. We are the connection point between Christ and the world. Jesus has, has left this world in bodily form but has promised that his spirit will indwell those who put their faith in him. That the law that is envisioned as light throughout the Old Testament is now written on our hearts through Jesus so that we will never walk in darkness. So we are the connection point. We are the line of sight, the, the source of, of light in a dark world. And my recognition then of Jesus as the light of the world doesn't call me to follow him, uh, doesn't just call me to follow him so that I won't be in darkness. It's also a call to action, to recognize that if I know my place In the kingdom, I am called to be the light of the world today, to let my light shine before others so that the Father in heaven may be glorified. And so as we share in a time of communion and meditation this morning, may we all be encouraged and filled with strength in the Spirit to go out and let the light of Jesus shine in our lives this week. May our deeds reflect the source of, of true life and light, and may we serve as the connection point between the light that has come into our own lives and the darkness we find around us. May we be witnesses to the light as revealed in Jesus Christ. Let's pray our prayer of confession together now and and then share in a time set aside for communion, for reflection and meditation. We confess to each other and to you, our Creator, that we fall short of being what we were created to be and what we have committed ourselves to be. Hear Hear us, us, forgive forgive us, us, renew our our resolve resolve to build build the kingdom kingdom of of Christ. Christ. We often seek out the easiest paths, paths of least involvement in places where we might be uncomfortable, or paths of self-centeredness. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of righteousness. We confess that we have not loved you with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind, and with all our strength. Bring us out of darkness, Lord, and into the light of your love. Hear us, forgive us, renew our resolve to build the kingdom of light. Forgive us for getting so caught up in the world's trappings and its false messages of hope that we lose sight of the hope of the kingdom, which brings healing and peace to a world in turmoil. Hear Hear us. us, Forgive us. us, Renew renew our resolve resolve to build build the kingdom kingdom of peace. peace. May we resolve to become more kingdom-minded, to be peacemakers here and now. Amen. Amen.